chapters 47 to 49b of History of Animals by Aristotle. Translated by Darcy Wentworth Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 47. The male camel declines intercourse with its mother. If his keeper tries compulsion, he evinces disinclination. On one occasion, when intercourse was being declined by the young male, the keeper covered over the mother and put the young male to her. But when after the intercourse the wrapping had been removed, though the operation was completed and could not be revoked, still, by and by, he bid his keeper to death. A story goes that the king of Scythia had a highly bred mare, and that all her foals were splendid, that wishing to meet the best of the young males with the mother, he had him brought to the stall for the purpose, that the young horse declined, that after the mother's head had been concealed in a wrapper, he, in ignorance, had intercourse, and that, when immediately afterwards the wrapper was removed, and the head of the mare was rendered visible, the young horse ran away and hurled himself down a precipice. 48. Among the sea-fishes many stories are told about the dolphin, indicative of his gentle and kindly nature, and of manifestations of passionate attachment to boys, in and about Tarentum, Caria, and other places. The story goes that, after a dolphin had been caught and wounded off the coast of Caria, a shoal of dolphins came into the harbour and stopped there until the fisherman let his captive go free, whereupon the shoal departed. A shoal of young dolphins is always, by way of protection, followed by a large one. On one occasion a shoal of dolphins, large and small, was seen, and two dolphins at a little distance appeared swimming in underneath a little dead dolphin when it was sinking, and supporting it on their backs, trying out of compassion to prevent its being devoured by some predaceous fish. Incredible stories are told regarding the rapidity of movement of this creature. It appears to be the fleetest of all animals, marine and terrestrial, and it can leap over the masts of large vessels. This speed is chiefly manifested when they are pursuing a fish for food. Then, if the fish endeavors to escape, they pursue him in their ravenous hunger down to deep waters. But when the necessary return swim is getting too long, they hold in their breath, as though calculating the length of it, and then draw themselves together for an effort and shoot up like arrows, trying to make the long ascent rapidly, in order to breathe, and in the effort they spring right over a ship's masts, if a ship be in the vicinity. This same phenomenon is observed in divers, when they have plunged into deep water, that is, they pull themselves together and rise with a speed proportional to their strength. Dolphins, live together in pairs, male and female. 
it is not known for what reason they run themselves aground on dry land. At all events, it is said that they do so at times, and for no obvious reason. 49. Just as with all animals a change of action follows a change of circumstance, so also a change of character follows a change of action. And often some portions of the physical frame undergo a change, as occurs in the case of birds. Hens, for instance, when they have beaten the cock in a fight, will crow like the cock and endeavor to tread him. The crest rises up on their head, and the tail feathers on the rump, so that it becomes difficult to recognize that they are hens. In some cases there is a growth of small spurs. On the death of a hen a cock has been seen to undertake the maternal duties, leading the chickens about and providing them with food, and so intent upon these duties as to cease crowing and indulging his sexual propensities. Some cock-birds are congenitally so feminine that they will submit patiently to other males who attempt to tread them. 50. Some animals change their form and character, not only at certain ages and at certain seasons, but in consequence of being castrated, and all animals possessed of testicles may be submitted to this operation. Birds have their testicles inside, and oviparous quadrupeds close to the loins, and of viviparous animals that walk, some have them inside, and most have them outside, but all have them at the lower end of the belly. Birds are castrated at the rump, at the part where the two sexes unite in copulation. If you burn this twice or thrice with hot irons, then, if the bird be full-grown, his crest grows sallow, he ceases to crow, and foregoes sexual passion. But if you cauterize the bird when young, none of these male attributes or propensities will come to him as he grows up. The case is the same with men. If you mutilate them in boyhood, the latter growing hair never comes, and the voice never changes, but remains high-pitched. If they be mutilated in early manhood, the late growths of hair quit them, except the growth on the groin, and that diminishes but does not entirely depart. The congenital growths of hair never fall out, for a eunuch never grows bald. In the case of all castrated or mutilated male quadrupeds, the voice changes to the feminine voice. All other quadrupeds, when castrated, unless the operation be performed when they are young, invariably die. But in the case of boars, and in their case only, the age at which the operation is performed produces no difference. All animals, if operated on, when they are young, become bigger and better looking than their unmutilated fellows. If they be mutilated when full-grown, they do not take on any increase of size. If stags be mutilated when, by reason of their age, they have as yet no horns, they never grow horns at all. If they be mutilated when they have horns, the horns remain unchanged in size, and the animal does not lose them. Calves are mutilated when a year old. 
otherwise they turn out uglier and smaller. Steers are mutilated in the following way. They turn the animal over on its back, cut a little off the scrotum at the lower end, and squeeze out the testicles, then push back the roots of them as far as they can, and stop up the incision with hair to give an outlet to suppurating matter. If inflammation ensues, they cauterize the scrotum and put on a plaster. If a full-grown bull be mutilated, he can still, to all appearance, unite sexually with the cow. The ovaries of sows are excised, with the view of quenching in them sexual appetites and of stimulating growth in size and fatness. The sow has first to be kept two days without food, and after being hung up by the hind legs, it is operated on. They cut the lower belly about the place where the boars have their testicles, for it is there that the ovary grows, adhering to the two divisions or horns of the womb. They cut off a little piece and stitch up the incision. Female camels are mutilated when they are wanted for war purposes, and are mutilated to prevent their being got with young. Some of the inhabitants of Upper Asia have as many as three thousand camels. When they run, they run in consequence of the length of their stride, much quicker than the horses of Nisaya. As a general rule, mutilated animals grow to a greater length than the unmutilated. All animals that ruminate derive profit and pleasure from the process of rumination, as they do from the process of eating. It is the animals that lack the upper teeth that ruminate, such as kine, sheep, and goats. In the case of wild animals, no observation has been possible, save in the case of animals that are occasionally domesticated, such as the stag, and it, we know, chews the cud. All animals that ruminate generally do so when lying down on the ground. They carry on the process to the greatest extent in winter, and Stall-fed ruminants carry it on for about seven months in the year. Beasts that go in herds, as they get their food out of doors, ruminate to a lesser degree and over a lesser period. Some also of the animals that have teeth in both jaws ruminate, as, for instance, the pontic mice, and the fish which, from the habit, is by some called the ruminant, as well as other fish. Long-limbed animals have loose feces, and broad-chested animals vomit with comparative facility, and these remarks are in a general way applicable to quadrupeds, birds, and men. 49b. A considerable number of birds change according to season the color of their plumage and their note. As, for instance, the ousel becomes yellow instead of black, and its note gets altered, for in summer it has a musical note, and in winter a discordant chatter. The thrush also changes its color. About the throat it is marked in winter with speckles like a starling, in summer distinctly spotted. However, it never alters its note. The nightingale, when the hills are taking on verdure, sings continually for fifteen days and fifteen nights. Afterwards it sings, but not continuously.
as summer advances it has a different song not so varied as before nor so deep nor so intricately modulated but simple it also changes its colour and in italy about this season it goes by a different name it goes into hiding and is consequently visible only for a brief period the erythacus or red beast and the so-called red start change into one another the former is a winter bird the latter a summer one and the difference between them is practically limited to the coloration of their plumage in the same way with the becafico and the black cap these change into one another the becafico appears about autumn and the black cap as soon as autumn has ended these birds also differ from one another only in color and note that these birds to a name are one in reality is proved by the fact that at the period when the change is in progress each one has been seen with the change as yet incomplete it is not so very strange that in these cases there is a change in note and in plumage for even the ring dove ceases to coo in winter and recommences cooing when spring comes in in winter however when fine weather has succeeded to very stormy weather this bird has been known to give its cooing note to the astonishment of such as were acquainted with its usual winter silence as a general rule birds sing most loudly and most diversely in the pairing season the cuckoo changes its colour and its note is not clearly heard for a short time previous to its departure it departs about the rising of the dog star and it reappears from springtime to the rising of the dog star at the rise of this star the bird called by some enanthe disappears and reappears when it is setting thus keeping clear at one time of extreme cold and at another time of extreme heat the hoopoe also changes its colour and appearance as aeschylus has represented in the following lines Quote, the hoopoe witness to his own distress is clad by zeus in variable dress now a gay mountain bird with knightly crest now in the white hawk's silver plumage dressed for timely changing on the hawk's white wing he greets the apparition of the spring thus twofold form and colour are conferred in youth and age upon the self-same bird the spangled raiment marks his youthful days the argent his maturity displays and when the fields are yellow with ripe corn again his particoloured plumes are worn but evermore in sullen discontent he seeks the lonely hills in self-sought banishment of birds some take a dust bath by rolling in dust some take a water bath and some take neither the one bath nor the other birds that do not fly but keep on the ground take the dust bath as for instance the hen the partridge the francolin the crested lark the pheasant 
some of the straight-talent birds, and such as live on the banks of a river, in marshes or by the sea, take a water-bath. Some birds take both the dust-bath and the water-bath, as, for instance, the pigeon and the sparrow. Of the crooked-talent birds, the greater part take neither the one bath nor the other. So much for the ways of the above-mentioned. But some birds have a peculiar habit of making a noise at their hinder quarters, as, for instance, the turtle-dove, and they make a violent movement of their tails, at the same time that they produce this peculiar sound. End of chapter 49b and end of book 9